a word that has been popping up on my mind for the last two weeks is a word. Everybody just look up here after you find it. I don't want pages shuffling right now. Just find it, First Samuel chapter 2, verse 27. All right. The word that's been on my mind is a word, uh, impetus. Have you ever heard the word impetus? I-M-P-E-T-U-S. Let me give you a definition. The force or energy that causes a body to move. The force or energy that causes something to move. And specifically, it said body. Let me know we're the body of Christ. And there is an impetus that causes the body of Christ to move. And without the impetus, you don't move. So if we don't have that, we won't move. We'll do things, but we won't move in what God wants us to do, right? The impetus, here's a second definition. The the force that makes something move more quickly. I mean, no, we need an impetus. We need to figure out what is it that makes the body move and what makes it move quicker than it's moving now. Amen? Praise the Lord. And two weeks ago, I was preaching about um, we're all called to be priests unto God. We're a royal priesthood. Uh, We're called to be kings and priests unto God. Last week I was talking about prayer and how critical prayer is before God can ever do anything in this body. Uh, we have to get serious about prayer. And uh, this week the, the title of my message, I don't know if I want to call it impetus or faithful priests. Faithful priests. I think in this message we'll discover what that impetus is. What it is to make this body move. And it's funny, Bob, you wrote, uh, we did a survey for each of the ministries. And um, they wrote down things that God had put on their heart for the ministry that they're working with and things in the church. And uh, and that word had been on my mind. And man, I seen it in your notes. It said, what did it say in there? Do you remember? The impetus. Something about the impetus of God in this church. Or, or something to that effect. And man, when I seen that, I was like, man, that's exactly what God's telling me. You know, the impetus to be, you know, for God to begin to cause this body to move and, and God to cause it to move more quickly. And, and, uh, so I started, uh, studying. Uh, this is very interesting. Uh, the Lord's just been kind of giving me revelation on this scripture. But, uh, in the Bible here, um, God, in this passage, it'll be toward the end of this passage I'm getting ready to read. Um, God is basically, uh, he has two priesthoods in front of him. He has um, the priesthood of Eli, and he's not happy with Eli and the way Eli has handled his duty as a priest or the function that he's provided as a priest. And so because of that, he says, I'm going to raise up a faithful priest. One that is after my own heart. And so 
I believe that the distinction between these two priesthoods is the difference between churches. There are some churches that operate like Eli's priesthood, and there are some churches that operate like this priesthood that God's going to raise up. So let's read. 1 Samuel 2, 27 to 36, it says, Now a man of God came to Eli. Now they don't even name this man. He's He's anonymous. The man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go to my altar and burn incense and wear an ephod in my presence. Do you see the weightiness of what he's called him to be? I've called you to be in my presence... I've called you to wear this ephod, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. These are symbols for us. I've called you of all these people, and it's, 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 it's basically reflecting our call. Our call to serve God and live for God in the world that's around. We're called to be priests. And um, so he says, haven't I called you to do this? To go to my altar, burn incense, wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice? The offering that I prescribed for my dwelling. See, God gave him a prescription. God gave us a prescription. How many know that? He's prescribed. In fact, the incense is worship. How many know that? I've called you to worship and and burn incense in my, I've caused you to, the Bible says when our worship goes up, it's like incense in the, in the, in the nose of God and it's, and, and it's a sweet aroma. And he says, those are the things I prescribed for the priests. I mean, no, when you get a prescription, it's to treat something. It's to treat something that's out of whack something that's not right within the body, the doctor will write a prescription, which is a blessing most of the time, and it's to specifically help with what's wrong with the body. And God has given us a prescription, and He wants to restore the body. He wants the body to function in a certain way, and He wants the body to begin to move, and he wants the body to have an impetus to be healthy and change the world. And so he calls this priest, and and this unknown prophet says, why do you scorn my sacrifice? He says, no respect for the sacrifice that God asked him to give. He wasn't overseeing the, the, the sacrifice very well, okay? That was his responsibility to oversee it and make sure it was done. Why have you scorned my sacrifice that I prescribed in my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, be it far from me now. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be disdained. 
Time is coming that no one in your family will reach old age. You will see distress in my dwelling place. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family will ever reach old age. Every one of you I will cut off from serving at the altar. I will spare, and I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. I reward, now listen to this. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family will line up and come and bow down before him and a pe- for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, anoint this word. Lord, raise us up, Lord God, like this faithful priest. Let us be like that house, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. <clears throat> so the first thing I want to remind you before we look at this, you say, well, it's irrelevant to me because I'm not of any priestly family. So I want to remind you again that we're all called to be priests. You know, we're all, he died so that we could bring offerings to him. He wants us to bring ourselves to him. He wants us to bring our worship to him. He wants us to bring our time and our talents to him. But here's the problem in America especially. I'm not saying that it's just us, but churches become about me. And this is the difference between these two houses, the house of Eli and the house of a person by the name of Zadok that he'll raise up. That's the house that he's going to raise up that is a godly house. But the house of Eli and a lot of churches in America, churches about what can they do for me? It's all about me. And God is saying, I'm raising up a faithful shepherd who is or a faithful priesthood that's after my heart. After my own heart. Now, where we have heard that phrase before? David was after God's own heart, the Bible says. And he's also going to raise up alongside David, because this is the period of time when David's coming along. He's going to raise up a priesthood that's after his own heart and his own desires. And so we need to look and see what is the difference between the two. In fact, here's the scriptures if you're taking notes. Revelation 1.6, And I have made you kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 2.9, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. So if you've been called out of darkness into the wonderful light, light, you're a royal priest. Amen. Another one, Revelation 5, 9, and 10. They sing a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood 
out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests. Well, I thought the priests had to be Jewish. Well, it just said there that out of every tongue, tribe, and nation, I have made you kings and priests. Powerful. Hallelujah. So what's happening here? Eli, Eli, during this period of the judges, he is a priest, and they have been serving, that family has been serving as priests through this period of time of the judges. And the tabernacle of God is in a place called Shiloh. Shiloh is a place where Joshua set up this tent of meeting, this tabernacle. And when they came into the land, it was in Shiloh for somewhere around 300 and almost 370 years, I believe it was at Shiloh. And Eli was there, and Eli had these two sons named Phineas and um, Hophni. Great names. Yeah, wonderful names. But Phineas and Hophni, they were, um, they didn't have a whole lot of respect for God. In fact, that's putting it lightly. Phineas and Hophni, they were basically very aggressive toward any of the women that served in the courts. They were doing things um, that were very severe, um, illegal things to women. Okay, they were very aggressive. They they didn't follow any of the directions that God gave them for the offering. In fact, they would tell them to put all the offerings in a big pot, and the priests uh, had the ability to get a get uh, meat out of there, but they just had to stick their fork in, and whatever came out, came out. Well, they didn't even wait for it to be boiled like God told them to. They wanted the raw meat. They wanted the best and the finest steaks. And they wanted to um, they wanted to use the ministry to the Lord to serve themselves. And not only that, but they would take the choicest meat. They wouldn't just randomly pick the meat. They'd take the best choice meat for themselves, and then they would go take some of it to their father. So here's where you see Eli starts to get pulled in. Eli got used to getting the nice ribeye steaks. He started getting the best steaks from his sons. And Eli was a man that never would reprove his sons. He never would say that what you're doing is wrong. And he just, for 50 years, he never would reprove his sons. In fact, the scripture says there, when it talks about his sons, all he would say is, why must you guys do this? So it's beginning to be a picture of a priesthood here. And it's a priesthood of, can I say this? A church that does not reprove. You can walk into a lot of churches in this country... And it doesn't matter what the congregation is doing. They won't preach about it. They won't talk about it. They say, oh, don't bring that up. We love everybody. And no matter what they're doing, we love them, man. They're like family to us. But if you love them, you got to reprove them. you got to lovingly say, because here's the thing. I can please the person... But I can't please the person who's sinning and God at the same time. And so there is a priesthood that is so devoted to their family 
that they don't ever reprove on behalf of God. And God's saying, that's why you're there to teach the difference between what is holy and what is unholy. These are kids that are spoiled, kids that have never had any discipline whatsoever in the Holy Spirit. It's like a child that continues to do wrong, and rather than discipline the child, they say, why must you do this? And they kind of wink at it, they kind of laugh at it, and the next thing you know, that child is so spoiled that how can they ever act righteously? And so this is a priesthood that devolves real quickly into a very unrighteous place. And Eli just continues to wink at it. Continues to wink at it. Continues to kind of tell his boys, Oh, Phineas, boys will be boys. And we see this in America a lot. And you say, well, he just loved his boys. And I'm sure he loved his boys, but he did not know how to love his boys. If he knew how to love his boys... He knew how to love his children, he would have reproved his children. He would have cared enough not to be their friend and tell them that he cares enough about them that I'm not going to allow that to happen in your life. I'll be the bad guy. And so this guy, his priesthood was marked with, I mean, they were doing really bad things. I I, I told you, I undersell things. Okay, These boys were... Beyond sexual assault. Okay, way beyond that. They were doing illegal things. They were bad kids. They were bad apples. And he just wouldn't do anything about it. And so, God begins to talk about replacing that priesthood with another priesthood. And so, you say, well, man, what's going to happen in this guy's life, you know? So some people will just read that and let it go and, and not even follow along and see what happens. But if you're curious about it, you begin to follow that trail through the Bible to figure out what ended up happening with, with his family. So as you begin to go along, you begin to see um, he has a child by the name of Abiathar, his grandson actually. So he had Phineas and he had... Um, Hophni and Phineas, I keep forgetting Hophni for some reason. Such an easy name to remember. But he has a grandson by the name of Abiathar. And so you begin to see um, David has, out of nowhere, David is in Ziglag, which is a place that he's hiding from Saul. And Saul is uh, persecuting everybody that's a true follower of God. They're all gathering around David. Everybody begins to recognize that this Saul is not the one we were looking for. Saul was a Benjamite, and the leader of Israel was going to come out of Judah. So here's Saul. Saul um, takes the uh, place at Shiloh because this man was so wicked. For the first time, the Ark of the Covenant is gone now. Because of Eli and his family's wickedness, the Philistines came in, killed his sons, took the Ark... And basically the ark was sitting in Philistine territory. The ark symbolizes the power of God. That's the impetus. The power of God. And the power of God was symbolized by a thing called the ark of the covenant. Wherever the ark of the covenant was, was the presence and the power of God. And in the Old Testament, you can't miss it. 
You can't miss this picture of the power and the presence of God everywhere it goes. It's like a child's coloring book. Okay, you can't miss it. It's not deep theology. It's the power and the presence of God follows the Ark of the Covenant. Eli is a wicked priest. They destroy the area, take the Ark of the Covenant, and now it's gone. And then Saul mishandles it himself, puts it in a place called Gibeah. And this Ark is kind of in limbo here. David is on the run. They're being persecuted by Saul. And as Saul is persecuting David, something strange is happening. David's been anointed to be the king. He's a man that is after God's own heart. This man loves God. I mean, he just absolutely trusts God with all of his heart. This man loved to worship in the presence in the, in, of God. God is putting all kinds of prophecies upon David's head. And people come from all over and surround David. You say, well, what's special about that? They were coming from every nation. How many know that? Something amazing was happening. There were people from all the nations were coming to David. There were all kinds of nationalities there. And all of a sudden, David, um, the Philistines end up killing Saul. And uh, David ends up becoming the anointed king. And one of the first acts that he did is he goes into Jerusalem. He conquers Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, two priests pop up. Nobody knows where they came from. One was Abiathar and the other one was Zadok. And so then you start thinking aback. I think I remember something about Abiathar's grandpa, Eli. God said that he was going to wipe out that priesthood, but he would spare their lives. But he would wipe that priesthood out and raise another one up that's after God's own heart. So Zadok must be him. So you begin to notice they're with him everywhere. David uh, begins to take the ark into the tent that he prepared for it in Jerusalem. It's called David's Tent. And man, they're worshiping 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 40 years. And all these ministers around what comes on the shoulders of Abiathar and Zadok. And Abiathar and Zadok... You begin to look at the difference between the two. Now, do you remember he said, let me tell you some of the things about Abiathar real quick. Here's the judgment that was going to come against Eli's line. Number one, he said that they would lose all spiritual power and authority. Now, we've got to ask ourselves, what's that have to do with me? Well, if I'm going to be a Christian, and by being a Christian, I am a priest... Do I want to have the power of God in my life, or do I just want to be a priest? Because God allowed them to continue to stand before the altar. How many know that? He didn't wipe out the line of Eli. He just said, you're going to be there, you just won't ever have any spiritual authority. He said, I will cut off your strength, but I will allow you to survive. So you say, well, man, are there Christians? In fact, his name means just makes peace with God. I mean, no, there are some Christians that make peace with God, but they have no spiritual authority. They have no spiritual power. They have no ability to wipe out the enemy when the enemy attacks. 
And God's saying there's two kinds of priesthood. There's one that's going to be stripped of all power and all authority. And there's another one that's going to rise up in power and authority in these last days. And Ezekiel will begin to have a vision about that. But the first thing about this judgment is, he says that they're going to lose their strength. In fact, the scripture says, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel said, I will indeed... I said indeed to your house and the house of your father, you shall walk before me forever. But now the Lord said, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. They despise me. They shall be to me lightly esteemed, is what the King James Version said. Behold, the days will come that I'll cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house. And there shall not be an old man in your house. They shall despise me. And they shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come while I'll cut off thy strength and the arm of thy father's house. And the next verse he says, but I won't cut you off completely. You'll still serve in the house of God. You understand that there are people that are serving God and they're priests to the living God because they're giving their heart to Jesus Christ and they're lightly esteemed by God. They have no power. They have no strength. They have no ability to go after the enemy. They have no ability to put the enemy to flight. They have no power. And you say to yourself, well, man, we better figure out the difference between these two because whatever the difference is, it's significant. The second thing it says, he says that he's going to bypass them and he's going to raise up a faithful priest. He's going to bypass them and he's going to pour his spirit upon the faithful one. And everything inside of me says, God, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by, God, in these last days. What am I going to do without your spirit? How will I survive without your spirit? And everything in me says, don't pass me by, Lord. And you begin to look at those boys, and what was it about the spirit of Eli? What was it about the spirit of his house that they they couldn't, receive what God had for them, the blessing. Well, one was, everything was in their mind was feeding myself. Everything. In fact, the example, you probably could have given a lot of examples about how they lived their life. I'm sure there were a lot of things about their life that were bad, but he only really gives two. He says they despise the sacrifices. And number two, They misappropriated the food and everything was a selfish, greedy desire to feed themselves. So what is God trying to say through that? The bad priestly line will have those two qualities. Right? They will despise the sacrifices that I prescribe to them as priests. And they'll be greedy. So greedy that they won't ever correct anybody. So now we bring it back to us. How many places in this country right now? We say we're Christians, but do we despise the sacrifices? We say, oh, you know, I've thought about this before. You ever notice something happens on social media and everybody's like, praying, 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 praying. But how much do we pray? How much do we spend in the presence of God? How much time do we really take our priesthood seriously? 
How much do we intercede for our family members? How much do we intercede for our church? How much do we intercede for our pastors? How much do we intercede for our political leaders? See, that's our job. We're priests before God. We have access to the throne. Why? So I can fill my belly with steak. That's what Eli's boys thought. Because I'll get the increase. Everything will fatten me up because now I have access to God's throne. Dear God, bless me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Bless my ministry. Bless everything about me. But God says, no, you have access for other reasons too. Yeah, I want to bless you, but if you'll seek the kingdom of God first, then I can bless you. Which implies if I don't seek the kingdom of God first, maybe he's not going to bless me. Because as Adok priesthood, they sought the kingdom of God first. Now what's really interesting is, those are the two things they were doing. Well, the interesting thing is, as we move along, we begin to see that um, that Eli's grandson, he was actually with Zadok almost the whole way. In fact, you see David at Ziglag, everybody's gathering around David, and, and Abiathar is right there with him, and so is Zadok. You can't really tell the difference between the two, can you? You know, you really can't tell the difference between the Christians who take prayer serious. How many think it's an awful thing if we're a prayerless church? If this is about something besides prayer, remember when Jesus walked in the house of the Lord and he was angry, he was knocking down tables, you say, oh, Jesus didn't do that. He actually did it twice. At the beginning of his ministry at the end. We are knocking things down and he said, this has become a den of thieves and it was supposed to be a house of prayer. But what would happen, now, now, now let's take off for a second. Everybody do this for me. Take your Christian mask right here and lay it one second right there. Okay, lay it down. Go on, do it. Take it off. Lay it down. Okay, now you have to answer this honestly now that our masks are off. How much do I love God's presence and how much do I pray? All right, put it back on. I pray constantly, Pastor. (laughs) And I'm not saying it to be mean. I'm saying it because this is what God once said. This is what God called us to do. That's why we're not changing as people because we're not in His presence and we're not hearing His voice. That's why God can't do in this world what He wants to do because we're not going after God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul. And so God is calling me. You say, well, are you perfect? No, I'm actually preaching this sermon to me. I'm hoping we we together see God like we never have before. But Abiathar and Zadok were together most of David's life. They joined him at Ziglag. They noticed that Saul was going the wrong direction. Saul, by the end of his life at this point, was uh, consulting a witch. He's very backslidden. He was persecuting believers. This is almost very similar to the Saul of the New Testament's persecution. In fact, he's a kind of a shadow of him. 
And here he's persecuting all these Christians. They all gather around David. David is the one God's anointed as king. They all gather around Jesus, the one God's anointed as king. David establishes his kingdom. Jesus establishes his kingdom. And so they're all gathered around David. Well, Abiathar and Zadok are there. And they're together with him. And you know, Christians, we're all together in this thing. We're all fighting the same battle. He was fighting with David. Abiathar was. And Christians, we're all fighting this battle against evil, aren't we? But the question is not, was he a Christian or wasn't he a Christian? Because I believe he was. I believe Abiathar had a Christian. He just was not going to be established in God's house. And you know, all through the New Testament talks about being established in God's house. In fact, Revelation says, I'll make you a pillar in the house of God. And what God wants to do is establish us in the house of God. Abiathar had no staying power. Abiathar was with David and fighting from Ziglag. They brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. They, uh, he was with Zadok to do that as well. David becomes king. And then toward the end of David's life, Zadok just had the heart of God. And toward the end of uh, Abiathar's life, David is getting older. And Abiathar meets a son of David. In fact, uh, you can find this. Find this in 1 Kings chapter 1. As you begin to follow, man, what about that prophecy he gave to Samuel, this unknown man? 1 Kings chapter 5, you see a son of David named Adonijah. And uh, Abiathar... It says in verse 7 of chapter 1 of 1 Kings, it says, And Abiathar, it says, He began to confer with Joab, the son of Zeruah. Adonijah surrounded himself with ungodly men here. It says they all met at a place called the Son of Zoalath. And here's um, Abiathar. Here's Adonijah, whose name means success and prosperity. And they're meeting in a place called the Stone of the Serpent. And they're all meeting there together. And, 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 and Abiathar begins to throw in his lot with this person who is committing treason against King David. You notice he could have been faithful like, it says none of the faithful men were there. Nathan wasn't there. Um, Zadok was not there. None of the faithful people of God were there. But when success and prosperity came along, guess who was there? Abiathar. And what God is trying to tell us is, do you remember what the sin of the priesthood of Eli was? He was greedy for gain. He was greedy to fill his belly. He was greedy to see what can God do for me. What can God do for me? Not what can I do for God. What can God do for me? So eventually this Abiathar ends up true to the prophecy. This priesthood ends up falling because he got lured away by a guy named Adonijah whose name means wealth and prosperity. How about that? 
He begins to get sidetracked. He begins to get his eyes off of God. And you know what? If we as a church just begin to hear what the Spirit is saying. If we as a church get our eyes off of God, if we get our eyes off of prayer, if we get our eyes off of seeking God, and this church all across this country, people are not seeking the face of God at all. They're not hearing from God. They're not prophesying by the Spirit of God. They're not in the presence of God. We are a prayerless nation. And God's saying that priesthood died because their eyes were not on God. They weren't hearing the voice of God. Abiathar came from the line of Eli. The priesthood of Zadok was totally different. In fact, Zadok, his name means righteous. And nobody knows where this guy came from. Zadok, when Jesus, or when, when David comes into Jerusalem and overtakes Jerusalem, Zadok just pops up. Nobody knows where he came from. I mean, there's a couple chronologies and you follow them and they don't match up with who he is. They're, they're, the chronologies are hard to follow. And Zadok is really unusual because he's from, he pops up when, when David destroys Jerusalem. And you begin to look at it, and the only thing they can think of is Zadok has something to do with Melchizedek. His name is actually the same that's on the king of righteousness, and his name is Zadok, which means righteous. So he pops up, and David at this time starts doing some unusual things. He starts writing a psalm, Psalm 110, that says, The priesthood of Melchizedek. The priesthood of Melchizedek. And he says, I'm going to begin to raise up new priests, priests that are hungry for me, priests that are after my own heart. And God begins to replace Abiathar. He had a whole nation that wouldn't seek God. And God began to raise up priests at this time who are after the order of Zadok. People that would begin to seek God's face, people that would begin to go after God. And um, and then Ezekiel chapter 44 uh, the nation is actually backslidden and away from God and, and, um, and God is, um, God is, uh, the people are weeping because the nation is so far away from God. And Ezekiel says, I see a day coming. He said, I see a day coming when God's spirit's begin, going to begin to move on people. It's Ezekiel chapter 44. He begins to see a picture of God's house and he said, Ezekiel, I want you to stand by the house of God. In fact, he says this. Ezekiel 44.5 says, Mark well the entering in of the house, everything that is going to and from the sanctuary. So he said, I want you to sit here by the door. I want you to watch what's going in and I want you to watch what's going out. He said, I want you to begin to see what's happening in the house of God. And then down in eight, or verse 8 it says, And you have not kept the charge of my holy things. I have set you as the keeper of my sanctuary, and you've taken it for yourselves. Verse 13 says, Yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the house and all its service and all that is done in it. Verse 14, um, How blind such ministers are, God says to them, they will not come near to me. So God is weeping because they're going in and out and nobody will go near to him. How's that possible? How are they going in and out of the house of God and nobody's drawn near to him? In and out. Just watch them, Ezekiel. They're going in and out and nobody will draw near to me. 
in and out. Nobody will draw near to me. Nobody will get close to me. Nobody will hear my voice. Nobody will talk to me. Nobody will seek my faith. He said, just watch them. He said, but, this is uh, verse 15, but the sons of Zadok, they kept the charge of my sanctuary. When the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me, to minister to me. They will stand before me and offer to me the fat of the blood, and said the Lord God. They will enter my sanctuary. They will come near to my table. They will minister to me. They will keep my charge. Do you see that there shall be a group of people, they will be raised up and they won't be like Eli's house. Eli's house, how the house of Israel was. Remember, God said, I'm going to raise up Gentiles and they're going to make you jealous. God said, I'm going to raise up a people that's so hungry for me, they will get to know me. They won't go in and out of the house and not draw near to me. These people will draw near to me. These people will love me. These people will delight in me. These people will hear my voice. These people will be real. And that's the problem we have today. We have Christians that aren't being real. They love the Lord. They have salvation. They're at peace with God. But they're just not hearing His voice. The power's not there. The power's out. It's like an electrical device with the plugs not in the wall. That's a beautiful lamp. It's a beautiful lamp you have over there, Kevin. Beautiful. But what is it worth if it's unplugged? What's it worth? And what God is saying is we can't live this life not plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, but pastor, can't we have a good marketing plan? Man, it works in business. Let's have a good marketing plan. Let's try to cover the fact that we don't hear from the Holy Spirit. Let's try to work it up. I've been in churches where they work it up. And then when all the working it up is over, what's left? God's going to raise up a priesthood that's totally different than Eli's. They're not going to wink at sin. Oh, back to that. Had to do it. No, it's going to be a group of people that says, God... I want to separate my life to you. I want to do what's right. I want to be reproved. I want to know what it is that I'm not doing well. I want to change, Lord. I want to be in your presence. I want to be like you. I want to look like you. I want to act like you. I want to be full of your Holy Spirit. And he's going to raise up a priesthood that's going to know, know his voice. And you know what? I was studying another thing here, and I can't help but not put this on here. It says when Solomon began to build the temple. Now remember, David pretty well had the picture of exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to build it. But God said, no, you can't build it. There's some kind of, um, some kind of prophetic picture here that God gave to David that you will never build my house. In fact, David represent all of the war How many know that spiritual warfare is our life? David represented all of the war and the bloodshed and the butchering that happens to make us right with God. How many know when you become a Christian, there is a war, there is a battle, there is spiritual warfare. It's bloody. You ever see what's happening on earth in the temple? It says what was happening in heaven. Okay, the the blood of the Lamb... 
David represented that, the warfare that it takes to be established. Do you understand? You say, I don't want to go in the Christian life. I don't want to fight. I don't want to battle. I just want to be at peace like Abiathar. God says, no, my people will rise up and they'll be like David's group. They will win every battle. They will vanquish every enemy. They will go against every corner of the earth that every demon tries to gather, every life that tries to be destroyed. They'll have a spirit that says, I will fight. And God says he's going to raise up people like that spirit that David had, people that will stand up and fight, people that will make war. And and, and Jesus represented that spirit of David that makes war with every demon that tries to harm every human being on this earth. How many know Jesus vanquished every enemy when he rose from the grave? He went into hell and vanquished every enemy. He represents that spirit of David. But then there was another spirit. It was the one of establishment. Everything that David did gave Solomon the peace of the kingdom. There was peace in that kingdom for 40 years. There wasn't a single enemy. And he says the fighting will bring the peace. And so Solomon gets ready to build the temple and he puts something very controversial in this temple. Very, you have no idea how controversial this is. He puts two pillars in there. And the two pillars are the first thing that they make. And normally a pillar will hold the weight of something, right? Put a pillar up, it holds the weight of something. These things were giant. They were like 27 feet tall. They were huge around. The pillars were called Yaquin and Boaz. Now who names Pillars. Yachin and Boaz. The one means bloodshed, butcher, fighting, war, and represents David. The other one means at peace, strength, established. It says the one bought the other one. And right at the entrance of the temple where the Spirit of God is, he put them there. You say, well, why is it controversial? It's controversial because the pagans were doing the same thing all over the world. The pagans in that time said, we own all the high places now. We own all the places. We own this city. We own that city. We own this city. And Solomon said, no, that symbolizes that God is going to own everything on this earth. And the people that walk into my presence have to walk by those pillars. And it says, the ones who are mine are willing to pay the price to get the established victory. And here's the problem. A lot of people don't want to fight. A lot of people don't want to seek God. A lot of people don't want to get in His presence because they say it's too hard. It's just too hard. I can't do it. It's just too hard. I want to have a life of peace. That's America. It's too hard. I know that's annoying. Really annoying. It's annoying for me to even talk like that. But what God's saying is if we don't pay the price, we don't fight the war, there is no victory. And there are nations right now 
where they're paying the price, they're ready to do battle, they're ready to make war, they're ready to fast, they're ready to pray, they're ready to seek God, they're ready to win the victory, and we'll rest one day. We'll establish what God wants on this earth. We'll establish righteousness. We'll establish what God wants to do because we're willing to seek His face and we're willing to pay the price. We're willing to make war. You know when they put those two pillars down, it was basically saying, we're making war. We're making war with every pagan demon that's on this earth. This is the presence of God. David paid the price. Jesus paid the price. And we're going to establish it. Pillars on either side. Praise the Lord. Rise to your feet. Oh, wow. Twelve minutes after. This is getting to be a, getting to be a bad habit of mine. I'm sorry. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, let us be a people that doesn't shy away from battle, Lord. Lord, we could uh, just turn aside and say, I don't want trouble. I don't want to fight. But Lord, that's not the spirit that you gave us. You didn't give us a spirit of fear. Give us a spirit of timidity. But you gave us a spirit of power and of a sound mind, Lord God. Father, the same spirit that was in David that killed the giant is in me, Lord. Lord, it's in this congregation, Lord God. Father, you're raising up a priesthood in this house, Lord God. Not just pastors that are hungry for the presence of God, but people that are ready to begin to seek God. Oh, Father, begin to move in this church, Lord God. Father, begin to let the hunger rise in your people, Lord God. Father, let us get our eyes off of people, Lord God. Oh, let us get our eyes on possessions, Lord God, and let us get our eyes on you, Lord God. You said when your people begin to cry out, you will begin to heal this land, Lord God. Oh, Father, let your spirit begin to move on this congregation, Lord God. Oh, Father, we're not the type, Lord God, that are going to walk in and say it's too hard. Oh, Father, we accept the challenge, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord God, you're calling us into your presence, Lord. You're calling us by your side, Lord God. Father, these last days are going to be great days, Lord. 